Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Welcome to this episode with Celeste Hirschman. Celeste is co-creator of the Somatica Method of Sex and Relationship Coaching, and I love the work of Celeste and her co-creator, Danielle. And this episode is for you if you're curious about how to connect with how you want to feel during sex, what your erotic desires are, how to share that with a lover or partner, and also how to deal with that if you feel that they're not compatible. And we explored this and so much more, including how your erotic energy can be your guide, different relationship models, dating, rejection, a heap of juicy topics. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to this episode of the Sexy Life podcast. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Celeste Hirschman. And Celeste is the co-creator of the Somatica Method for Sex and Relationship Coaching and Trains Coaches. So welcome. Lovely to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I've been following yours and your partner, business partner, Danielle's work for, I was remembering actually over a decade now, because I actually came to Sexport in San Francisco in 2013 to train with you both of you and I booked it and found out it was the year that you'd left oh no <laughs> and if you know that story I didn't I was like wait I don't think I trained you okay good I'm not yeah. losing my mind <laughs> but that's how much I loved your work and that's been for many many years and watched it evolve and grow so I'd really love you to share about your work and what you do yeah, Somatica was created out of a need that we felt was kind of missing in the field in terms of, you know, therapy, sexological body work. We felt like there was this piece that was missing around people being able to practice with intimacy in real time, both emotional and erotic, in order to build skills in that area. Because so many people coming into our office were really were wondering about partnership and how to have the best, you know, emotional and erotic connections as, as possible with partners, with dating, all of those things. And we thought, you know, this can be learned, but it's really not been broken down very well anywhere thoroughly where people can practice it in a safe container. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So what does practice it in a safe container look like? So, you know, Somatica is a method where, um, you know, there are boundaries, like we keep our clothes on and we don't kiss our clients, but we do actually practice with sharing erotic energy and erotic touch in order for people to build skills around it. You know, both the skills of like sensual touching and the skills of like verbalization of, you know, sexy language, different kinds. How do you play with romance and passion? How do you throw somebody up against the wall in a passionate way that helps them feel like desired and, you know, gently caressed and seduced. So all of that is we can practice in the office, which is just super fun and extremely helpful to people feeling confident to be able to go out and do it out in the world. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so how would that look for an individual versus maybe a couple or people in partnerships that come to the office? Yeah, for an individual, as the coach, we work with them directly in erotic connection. So I'm going to be practicing with you as though you're my partner. And within your comfort, we will practice different kinds of emotional and erotic connection. So it's, you know, completely based on your boundaries and comfort, of course, but we try different things. Um, with a couple, I might demonstrate it on one of the partners, and then they try it with each other. So they're doing a lot more of the interaction and practices with each other. Mm amazing and it's incredible what you've pioneered with this because it's in a way it's astounding it's never happened before this type of work yes. it's so, so obvious on one level but it's also such big work and so for somebody listening who's maybe thinking wow I I could really benefit from that but maybe a bit nervous or unsure about that what would you say to them yeah, I think it is a, you know, it is a leap. And at the same time, we go very slow. We go completely based on somebody's comfort. We're not going to push you to do anything that you don't want to do because it's really about you finding your own sense of boundaries, what kind of consent you need and what feels good for you in an erotic connection. Um, so, you know, we'll take it at your pace is what I would say. And even if you just want to talk, you can get so much out of learning these tools. Yeah. And I'm guessing you've developed this online the last few years. So you yes. can access it online as well. <laughs> Oof, well, that was a whirlwind. We had to like switch everything around because we'd always just done the whole training in, per in person. But now we've adapted it completely online. And many of our coaches are coming from all over the world to train with us. And um, some of them are practicing online and some of them are doing both online and in-person practices. And how did you get into this work? I'd love to hear your pathway. and. Yeah, I mean, I was always interested in sexuality from a very young age. I was a sexual person, you know, which I think is often frowned upon uh, for girls. I felt very unusual in the sense that I was more sort of, I probably behaved more the way that people socialized male behave. I was horny. I was somewhat aggressive when it came to sex. <laughs> um, I wasn't so, uh, maybe I was a little bit afraid of being used, quote unquote, just because that that's something that um, women are so trained around. But mostly I just really was interested in sex and I felt like it was a powerful place, a thing to talk about. Like I could see the impact on people when I talked about it. And I also felt like it was something I was really comfortable with so that I could help people with it. And it took me a long time to kind of finally find a master's program in human sexuality studies. I was the part of the first year at San Francisco State University, which was much more research-based. It wasn't like a experiential, practical, hands-on method. It was just talking about sex research mostly. But um, but I kind of took that and rolled with it. And then I found the sexological body work training and that kind of got me started. And then I was practicing as a sexological body worker. And I saw that so many people were coming into the office needing work around intimacy. And so I thought, oh, this can be so added to, you know, the tools that you use in SexBod, having all of these tools of intimacy as well. So I felt like they worked really well together, actually. And Somatica was eventually created out of that with my business partner, Danielle Harrell. Mm. Fabulous. And you mentioned there about um, uh, how socialization, and I'd love you to sort of share what are some of the really key themes and messages that you see, particularly female bodies getting around sex um, uh, in their growth formative years? Yeah, it's endlessly frustrating. You know, I recently had a lover um, sort of 
not have sex with me. We hadn't seen each other for a long time and he didn't, he took me out to dinner, but then he didn't have sex with me because he didn't want me to feel used. And I was so upset because I really wanted to have sex. And I'm like, I feel like you don't know me at all, even though we've been hanging out for quite some time because, uh, I will never feel used having sex. I feel like I get a lot more out of it than you do, you know, but the messages that were brought up with around maintaining your virginity and your virginity is what makes you precious. And if you lose it, you've given away your most important gift, you know, and boys don't get these same messages for the most part, unless they're brought up in very religious environments. But mostly these messages are given to girls and there's so much slut shaming and policing around girls' bodies and girls dress, you know, what we wear. And um, I think this, this slut shaming that we experience causes us to really shut down around our sexuality because sex becomes something dangerous, not just dangerous in the sense that they scare us around pregnancy or they scare us around STDs, but dangerous because we might be pushed out of our social group, right? Like people might think, oh, that's, you know, diminish us and think oh that's just a slut so she doesn't matter or she doesn't deserve care or relationships she's not relationship worthy and all these messages like as much as we try to fight them they get in there and then we have to struggle with them as we go out and try to be sexual um as as adult women yeah it's so confronting and confusing isn't it have you seen that um the video that was around uh, a couple of years ago something like be like a lady Mm -mm. um it's brilliant I'll send it to you because I played it to a group recently and it's called be like a lady and it's Miranda from sex in the city I and love her she's speaking about all these messages that we get as female bodies and it's like don't do this do that don't be too much don't be you know all of this and the group I mean people were in tears watching it afterwards because it's so powerful and just to feel the volume of what we experience in a female body in our lives yeah, <laughs> it's just it's incredible so infuriating because we have so much erotic potential you know and it gets so repressed because of this disconnection that happens early on Mm, absolutely so for somebody listening who is feeling repressed or has a sense there's blockages there where can they start? I think it's really helpful to just start with the concept of pleasure. It doesn't even have to be sexual pleasure, but what gives me pleasure in my body out in the world? Is it like walking in the sunshine or taking a bath or a shower, or is it being in nature? And as we start to tune into pleasure in our body and make that more of a focus of of who we are, then we can start seeing, how can I connect this to my erotic self? How can I bring this into a self-pleasuring practice? Even if it's not masturbation, but just like, you know, touching your body when you're having one of those experiences, like lying in the sun by a, by a lake and like just taking some time to feel your skin and notice that there's so much pleasure available there. Or, you know, in the shower, just, you know, like feeling the water run down your whole body. And I feel like all of those things start to remind us that this, you know, we have this amazing body that has so much ple pleasure potential and we can kind of refocus instead of thinking, oh, what's everybody thinking about me? But like, what am I feeling in myself? Hmm. So I think that's a nice way to start. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to start. And when you talk about sort of erotic empowerment, what do you, for somebody who's erotically empowered, what do you see in them that's uh, different yeah. from others? <laughs> 
Well, I definitely see a connection to like erotic energy as a life force. So erotic energy isn't just something that they use in the bedroom, but it's something that they bring in every area of their life. So you can see they're kind of lit up and they're flirtatious and playful and alive. And their eroticism is part of them wherever they go. And also guides some of their choices, right? Or many of their choices. Like when I think about like, what do I, you know, what do I want to do today? I listen to my pussy as Oracle, you know, like (laughs) if she tingles about something, I was in like a meeting the other day around this pilot program that we're doing on a television pilot that we're doing. And, um, and she was just like, zoom, zoom, zoom. You know, I was like, this is, this is it, you know, like, this is the kind of thing I want to do in my business. And I think that once we become erotically empowered, our eroticism points, like guides us in terms of how to make our lives more wonderful in every way. Oh yeah, I love that. Absolutely, 100%. And so one of the things I know you talk a lot about um, that can really as well be another block for this is shame. Mm -hmm. And that's such a huge all pervasive thing. And so I'd love to hear what you see in the people that you work with around shame and also how that can be shifted as well. Yeah, it's so constant shame in our society that it's almost like the part of the air we breathe, how often people are saying, well, nobody does that or everybody's supposed to do that or, you know, a good mom does this and, a, you know, a bad wife does this, right? It's just like, it's like, or who does that or how could you do that? And, and I see shame. Um, I mean, I think of myself as a shame warrior, like somebody who's battling shame at every moment and always paying attention because shame is, um, it's a freezer. It stops us from growth and it stops us from movement because it's fear. It's fear of being, again, of being ostracized or kicked out. That's basically what shame is. And so if we're ashamed, we even like hide things from ourselves. And the more we deshamify, the more we can see, oh, that's a part of me that's a part of my partner, you know, and you can deal with what's actually there and start to open up. And I think shame around sex is just, you know, also even like more constant than around other things. Um, And that's just another reason that people aren't feeling good, you know, body shame, like people don't want to get naked in front of each other or um, just shame about being turned on. I mean, I know like I I work with one woman whose um, partner like was upset that she was making noise during sex. I guess he was worried about the neighbors or something. It was just like, she she makes the most beautiful noises. I'm like, how could somebody tell you (laughs) to shush? (laughs) I'm helping her not shush. But that's such a small but powerful example of where shame can creep into our encounters with other people. So, yeah. Yeah, that- making sound can like really increase our arousal. It's like sometimes it's the way that I get to orgasm is just I keep making noises and it connects down, right? Yeah. <laughs> connects down to your G-spot and it's like, ah, the explosion happens, you know? Yeah, sound. It's like a, just this channel that once it wakes up, there's no stopping me. So. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up in a, you know, silently masturbating just to not be heard, not get caught. And then 
that shame just builds in the system, doesn't it? And it's having these experiences that you can, like you say, bust through, de-shame. And one of the big areas that you do a lot around this is, is your work around desires mm. and such an area with such shame. And I really recommend to anyone listening your book, Coming Together, which I have right here, um, which is a wonderful book about desire. So tell me um, about some of the desires people experience and what you notice in terms of the shame around that, how people are afraid of voicing them and what people can do about it. And it's a big question. <laughs> yeah, and I almost even want to start back from that a tiny mm -hmm. bit because I want to say that a lot of times people do not know what a good conversation is to have around sex. Like when they think, oh, I want my sex life to be better, but how do I even start talking about it? And I think core desires are so central to that conversation. It's where we need to start. And we need to start with no judgments and no pressure that we have to meet each other's desires, but an openness to like, oh, my, my, this amazing partner of mine is sharing this beautiful, highly vulnerable part of themselves their core desires and how can I create a space to see that that's a deepening of intimacy whether I'm capable of meeting those desires or not so to create that space right first to have the conversation and then to know what is a core desire so a core desire is what does someone want to feel during sex not even what they want to do yet because that's a whole different set right we call that hot sexual movie but what do you want to feel during sex and so for me like personally, I want to feel very special and precious and almost like powerful because of how special I am. And then if I feel very much like that, I sometimes want to also feel used um, or made to do things. Not that I don't want to do, but like told what to do, you know, because I also like to feel pleasing. Um, and so that's my like own personal combination and everybody has their own combination. Maybe it's like united or playful or degraded or, um, controlled or in control or, uh, spiritual or at one with nature. Everybody has their own particular version of what they want to feel during sex. And that's like what makes it worth it, you know, because like you can all do things with your own parts. <laughs> it's like bringing somebody else there with you and feeling this connection this deep longing for certain kinds of feelings that you want to feel that's what creates peak erotic experiences and so for somebody listening because I'm guessing for some people that's very clear what they want from sex for others that might be I don't know yes <laughs> where might they start to examine how they want to feel yeah, that's why in um, in coming together, we have like pages and pages and pages of all of the different things that might give you hints into what you want to feel. It can be anything from like, you know, what are certain movies that are arousing to you and think, oh, well, what is, what is that making me feel? Or what are the characters feeling in there? Or, you know, just stories that you've read, books, um, or you think about your most exciting sexual experience, or you think about the kind of porn that you watch and you think, what's what's the emotion that this is eliciting? And that can really help you start to nail down what you want to feel during sex. And then you want to see the next conversation to have is what do you want to do during sex that makes you feel that way? So what is the kind of touch? What are the words? What's the energy that's coming towards you that's going to give you those feelings that you want to have? Uh, and so that's where we start when we're working with clients, either individually or as couples to help them get really in tune with what they want. Yeah. And 
and I love that you that layer because often people feel they have to start with desires but that layer before of what do I want to feel yeah. is such a rich layer to explore and you mentioned words like degraded and controlled and and you know there's a, there's all the be in nature and be at one with nature but for some people listening they either might be triggered by that or they might be like I want some of that but what does that mean what what does what does that make me mean yeah completely I think there can there are some um desires that are very approved of in our society yeah. and some of them that are very shamed um but my feeling is when people have erotic experiences where they have agency not where they're doing things that they don't want to do, but where they have agency, like some people even like consensual non-consent, where they've consented to do something that's not consensual, right? But, but I mean, like, if they have that agency, and they have, you know, they have, they're having the experiences they want to have, to me, that is extremely healing, whether it's a repetition, like degradation, or more of like a, you know, re resolution, like um, being adored or something like that. But the most important thing in this situation is that the person is choosing and the choosing reclaims the power for them, even if early on the experience was one of loss of power. And that's something that I think the BDSM community really taught us, you know, and an, an important lesson. And I see a lot of people who've had disempowering experiences in their younger years, um, reclaiming their power by playing with those experiences like spanking or, you know, being told what to do or those kinds of things. And they have an erotic charge. And then it's like, oh, this used to hurt me. Now it's getting me off. And that's exciting and powerful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing on that. And you mentioned as well there about the hottest sexual movie. So uh, that's a phrase that you, you've developed. So tell me about that and what that means. Yeah, so hottest sexual movie is the things that you want to do, the words that you want to hear, the actions that you want to take or have taken with you um, that make you feel your core desires, that make you feel the feelings that you want to have. So, you know, it can be anything. It doesn't even have to be sexual. And I think this is a place where people um, sometimes when they start talking about how to have better sex, they miss out on a lot of different possibilities because some people are like, you know, it really turns me on when my partner comes home and says, hey, I really want to listen to your whole day and what happened for you, because then I feel so seen and seen as part of their core desire. So it starts to get them turned on <laughs> and then they feel much more ready for sex to be seen, maybe seen naked or seen in their arousal or something like that. But that that the the conversation that they have with their partner is the foreplay. Uh, and so if we if we start thinking about how we want to feel, we can really broaden our definition of sex and warm up and, you know, what turns us on. And it doesn't have to be like positions and, you know, hot tips and tricks, you know, it's much deeper than all of that and, and much broader as well. Yeah. And the, with the hot sexual movies, because obviously a lot of people feel what's going to happen? There's a big fear if mine's different than my partner's and how that might look. So I'd love you to speak to that. Yeah, compatibility, right? And I think, you know, we have this fantasy, like the, the fantasy in our society that kind of fairy tale is that people are just made for each other. And if they're meant for <laughs> each other, it'll all just click. And it's like, no way. <laughs> 
I would say that's a very low, low, low percent of people where you just have sex the first time and it's exactly compatible and the kind of sex you want to have, you know? And I do feel like the honeymoon phase, a lot of times the sex is hot for other reasons, like uncertainty and, um, you know, just newness and all those kinds of things. But after that, we kind of have to have these conversations so that we can have as much compatibility as possible. And sometimes people have very different movies. Like one person is completely about passion and the other person is all about romance, you know, or one person wants to do power play and the other person wants to do um, something that has more of a spiritual bent. Those things can be brought together and there can be like a melding of them or there can be turn-taking. And that's what we try to figure out is like how, and, and also, you know, there's lots of like, for one type of desire, there's lots of different potential movies. So we help people think outside the box, like what would be an overlapping movie? Like this client, these clients where one of them wanted to feel really cared for and the other one wanted to feel in control and tie her up. And um, so then he went out and he bought like very, like we, we helped him figure this out. He went out and he bought like very like soft ropes and, you know, scarves and just like, it was a lot of like very caring touch as he was tying her up. And then they kind of both could get their movie at the same time. Whereas, you know, when she was thinking of being tied up, she thought, well, that's like harsh and I won't feel taken care of, you know? And he's like, oh, if I'm just caring for all the time, I don't get any of my stuff, you know, my needs met. And so this was a way to bring their movies together. Mm, that's such a beautiful example because we don't have any reference points for this do we in the in the the everyday world no (laughs) there's not a lot (laughs) we're trying to make a television pilot now we're working on it it's going to be recorded next month to try to show these things amazing yeah because we want like everyone to be able to have better sex in this way you know to learn what what the each of them really wants and and make those negotiations and creative you know creative solutions yeah, absolutely. So there's getting in touch with how you want to feel and not just how you can bring that into sex. But I loved how you shared that that can be permeate every place in the relationship um, yeah. and really, really, um, you know, because like for me, I, I love to feel desired and that can just show up in, you know, cleaning the teeth in the bathroom in a conversation. It's as simple as that, but it can bring in that energy and that playfulness. Um, yeah. when, you, when you've got that little nugget because it is really a nugget of gold isn't it when you find that 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 what you want to feel and then you've got the core desires you've got the movies um so how about if um you know are there places when you know sometimes people can't meet the other person's movie for whatever reason and, and how does that work out how does that play out there are places where people can't meet the other person's movie once they've tried everything, or maybe there's something where the other person, whatever it is, it's like, it's something that's just really a turnoff for their partner. So there's lots of different ways to navigate that. I think one of the things that I really try to emphasize to people is that there's two different pieces of relationship. There's attachment and there's pleasure and eroticism. And we sort of expect all of those things to always come together. This is part of the fairy tale. So you might have a very long loving attachment with someone, but lose your erotic energy or not have good compatible movies or have them something that you just don't want to meet at all. And I try to help people maintain that attachment because attachment is so core to our sense of well-being 
we always think, oh, well, if we can't have everything in a relationship, we should just break up and disconnect from each other. And um, sometimes people do need to do that, but I see that as a last resort. You know, is there, are there other options? Does the person just want to feel their disappointment and accept they're not going to get that piece? Is there a way to honestly outsource, you know, to negotiate somebody getting their needs met somewhere else in a way that still makes the you know, still feel safe enough in the relationship. So we just look at all of the different options and see what's possible um, to maintain that beautiful long-term connection and also get as many needs met as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I think that, like you say, that fairy tale, that this is how it's gonna be. And if it's, if we don't tick all these boxes, then there's something up with us is so strong. And to realize we can't meet everybody's need, our partner's needs all the time. And it basically, makes, needs. Every, <laughs> basically yeah. makes everyone feel like a failure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad, you know, because really human relationships are challenging, right? They're not just like, oh, I found the person and now it's all going to be easy from here on out, happily ever after. It's like, no, <laughs> you live a whole life, you know, and you see the ups and downs and the needs that are met and those that aren't and and how do we keep being loving um, through those challenges that's what intimacy is all about mm. and you mentioned you know what are some of the other things that you feel get in the way of people with relationships in terms of the fairy tale that people believe um, well, we said, you know, this perfect compatibility, the ability that you're going to meet the other person's needs, you know, I say like relationships are at least 20% disappointment, right? <laughs> <laughs> we talk about that in making love real. Um, because if you, if you assume that that's how it's supposed to be, you'll just keep throwing people away and trying to find this perfect person, uh, instead of actually saying, okay, like we're two people, we we're not meant for each other. We're meant to be ourselves and be in connection with each other. And I think that's the big difference, right? Because that means we aren't perfect for each other. We're just human beings trying to do the best we can and, you know, feeling those differences. So I think, I think that, that the fairy tale really gets in the way. And also it's like the fairy tale is that something has to last forever to be a success. And I've had so many beautiful relationships, successful relationships that aren't in the same configuration anymore. My wonderful ex-husband lives downstairs with his girlfriend and we're best friends, you know? And it's like, if I thought, oh, it has to be this way forever or nothing, then I would have lost that beautiful connection that we have so I just try to help people not feel like it's all or nothing um but deal with the reality and complexity of relationships yeah yeah absolutely and you talk about the term you mentioned beforehand around emotional empowerment and I'd love you to speak to that yeah, I'm really excited about emotional empowerment. I feel like it's the thing that's changed my life the most uh, about uh, about just about anything in doing this work. I was pretty comfortable as a sexual being, but I had a lot of um, attachment trauma as a young person. And it took me many years to learn how to deal with my emotions in a way that was constructive and that would help me get my needs met as much as possible. So I used to just get triggered and then I would freak out and I would break up with people when I didn't even want to. I would like create all of this drama, you know, and, um, and I didn't know how to be with my feelings and share my feelings in a way that was 
you know, soothing and effective. And I think that's what emotional empowerment is because we all have, you know, different kinds of traumas or fears or things that come up. And when something that somebody does elicits that in us, we often will blame them or shame them or run away from them or um, shut down as opposed to actually being like, okay, what's happening here? What am I feeling? And what do I need to do to take care of myself and to get the care that I need out in the world as opposed to like, how could you do this to me? Or, you know, all of the kind of stuff that happens around feelings that is not vulnerable and not very effective actually. <laughs> So I feel like the more that we understand our emotions and our triggers, the more that we're able to explain them to other people and what we need in those moments, the better chance we have of getting our needs met and, you know, having much more time of joy and pleasure and sex and much less time of pain and trauma. And for me, that's, to me, that's what Somatica is all about, like increased joy, attachment, you know, orgasms, <laughs> pleasure, fun, play, and as little pain and trauma as possible. To me, that's how you maximize a life. Um, mm. And an emotional empowerment is a big part of that. Yeah, and especially with what we've been going through the last couple of years in yes. the world as well and the intensity. So again, sort of for somebody listening, where might they start with that? Or they may be trying different things. And, you know, I certainly was flailing around for years trying different things before I built resiliency in my system and capacity in my system to deal with it. So what would you share some wisdom around that What on from your journey or working with clients? Yeah, I think it's really helpful to start to pay attention to what upsets you. And in those moments to bring a lot of curiosity and non-judgment and see like what's being touched inside of you what fear you know like is it a fear that i'm going to be left is it a fear that i'm not enough that i'm too much that i'm not important you know what's what's happening inside of you and to start to be with that those fears in a more loving gentle way to understand that we have a little hurt child inside of us and sometimes it needs attention and soothing because sometimes we get scared again in the same that old way that we did before. Um, and so I think if we start there with some gentleness and curiosity and try to understand what our biggest fears are or our biggest triggers, um, that's, that's a piece of it. And then there's all sorts of different kinds of, you know, soothing, self-soothing, um, ways to take care and modulate those feelings. And then there's ways to share them vulnerably that make them most likely to be heard. But it's hard to share vulnerably when all of our protective mechanisms are, you know, like taking over. So to see like, what are your protective mechanisms? Do you usually dissociate or shut down or um, fight or, you know, uh, what, 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 what gets in the way of connection and vulnerability in those moments? Mm. And how might you share some of that with somebody vulnerably? Well, I think like, you know, I remember this one, um, this guy I was dating and he was, uh, we, I was leaving his house maybe the second time that we were together hanging out at his house. And he very quickly sort of, um, like he just switched gears really fast and went on to something else. And that just touched a little bit my abandonment trigger. 
Um, and obviously he wasn't abandoned me. He like had a work project that he wanted to move on to and he thought he'd said goodbye, I'm sure, but like, it just felt very abrupt to me. And so when I was driving home, I gave him a call and I said, hey, um, you know, I just want you to know that the way that you, um, that we ended our connection there, it just made me feel a little bit like, um, it felt a little fast for me and it just made me feel a little bit uh, dismissed. Mm. And then he's, oh, I'm so sorry. I would never do it again, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Because <laughs> I want to help them empathize also. I said, no, no, I know you will probably do something like that again. And it's okay, you didn't do anything <laughs> wrong. But if you could just understand that that's something that's a little bit hard for me and give me some empathy and maybe try to think of it in the future, that would be great. Mm. You know, so to help, people understand you without going because we go so quickly into apology and fixing and we don't go into like empathy and care so we often have to teach people how to do that but it really helps when you say something vulnerably when you say like I felt a little dismissed as opposed to like wow what an asshole how could you just like move on to something else you know (laughs) when I uh when I when you're supposed to be saying goodbye to me or something like that you know that's how people often express themselves as though the other person has done something wrong and then they're much less likely to get care yeah yeah that's such a big shift isn't it just from that blaming place the shaming place to the this is what I feel and what I need and just the magic of what you know I'm in a relationship for the first time where we've been able to share these sort of things openly and all it's taken sometimes is just the sharing of it that just changes the whole dynamic and right? when those things come up they don't have the charge because we're able to talk about it and be open about it and it's so beautiful to witness yeah it's amazing sometimes there's nothing that even needs to change it's just yeah. that 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 open conversation and empathy needs to happen yeah yeah absolutely and so I, I was curious actually to, around uh, dating was just popping in because Dating is always a sort of, um, it's been so tricky for so many people as well the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'd love to share what you've seen in your practice and with your students around this and also what people, how people have got creative with it as well in these times and what shifted. Yeah, I mean, I am a, I'm, I'm a dater. I date a lot. It was hard during the pandemic. There was like a two month period where I didn't get any sex and I almost murdered someone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, but I think people, you know, people have gone to zoom dating and, you know, doing all sorts of different ways to meet each other during the pandemic that were safer. Um, But I think dating in general, it, yes, it's changed a lot because there's so much, you know, swiping and online. And at the same time, it's, there's ways that it's very much stayed the same, which is that it's hard, you know, you have to go out and put yourself in somewhere or another in front of another person and deal with all of your insecurities and uncertainties. (laughs) And also like, you have no idea who's going to be sitting across from you and how it's going to feel. And, um, and it's, it's a lot, you know, I think, I mean, even for an extrovert like me, it takes a lot of energy. So I can only imagine for an introvert, you know, it's like much more intense to put yourself out in that way. Um, And I guess in Somatica, we just keep trying to help people be gentle on themselves and not feel like, oh, I have to 
hook on to one person right away, but it's okay to just meet different people and see how it feels and not feel like it's like, oh, this has to turn into a relationship or something like that. Um, you know, to slow that process down and take some time to get to know people. Yeah, I call it slow dating because it's the sort of the antidote because that's what people share is the speed of dating these days, isn't it? With the swipe, swipe, swipe and the yeah. pressure to make instant decisions and all of this. And it's like, let that go. If it's, if it's meant to go anywhere, that person will hang around. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and slow it all down so you can feel into, do I want to meet them again? <laughs> do I want to spend more time with them rather than is this the person I want to be with or the, the fantasy that can, can happen for many people? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. so and one of the things I, I'd love to hear you sort of speak about is you know people often say to me as well one of the things that stops them going dating is just the fear of rejection and the pace of rejection what would you say to somebody listening from that perspective yeah I do feel like we don't care for ourselves very well when we're rejected like we're, we feel like oh we're not I think people have this idea that they're supposed to not feel rejected like oh if I could just not care what anybody else thinks that's like as though that's the goal you know <laughs> and it's like we're human beings we're social animals we care deeply what other people think if we didn't we wouldn't survive so it's built into our nervous system to care what other people think most people do and it doesn't usually go away what we can do when we feel rejected is actually be gentle with ourselves like wow I was really interested and in, into that person and it hurts that they didn't feel that way and actually take some time with you know I think of it as my inner child who feels scared of not being loved or something like that um, take some time with that part and just say I know like it's hard you know you're not everybody's flavor not everybody's your flavor and to just be loving with the part that feels rejected as opposed to like harsh and dismissive. I think it's a little bit easier to go out and put yourself out there if you know that you can take care of yourself when it doesn't work out and have other, you know, have friends to hold you in that as well and to talk to like, man, it sucked, you know, I really wanted that and I didn't get it. And, and for them to be able to love you and tell you how wonderful you are <laughs> <laughs> when you experience those rejections. And I think that's particularly it's, it's actually much harder for people socialize as men. Hmm. They beat themselves up for feeling anything. Um, and so it's a harder thing to get over. And they often don't have a community of supportive folks who they can talk to when they feel hurt or sad or rejected. So it's ice, there's this isolation. Hmm. Um, and that's the socialization around like, you know, having to do everything by yourself and not supposed to feel uh, so... I don't know, I encourage men to honor the fact that they can also have emotional response to, to dating as well. Mm, yeah, I love that reframing. And we're at a time as well in, in history where the, the choices of what's available in terms of relationship options and configurations and uh, is, is, is more broader than ever. So, you know, people, I, you know, I speak to people, I don't know what type of relationship I want. And so curious what you'd say in terms of designing the relationship you want how to find that for yourself yeah one real big motto of somatica is one size does not fit all <laughs> right and we have so many images out in society about like one size is supposed to fit everyone especially you know monogamous marriage that lasts forever that's 
cohabitation, you know, <laughs> like all of that is like this idea that everybody's supposed to fit into that. So I really try to help people see, you know, what is, what is the relationship structure that makes them feel most secure and themselves, mm. right? And so, and that's the balance that we're all trying to figure out here. Like, how do I feel connected and to someone else and secure in that connection and be true to myself at the same time? And it's a delicate balance. Um, so helping people find the relationship structure that maybe is, you know, most aligned with themselves and least triggering for them is what I try to help people do. And it's hard because sometimes two people get together and those things are kind of opposite for them. And, um, and that's, that's a, that's a tough one to work through. Uh, but if you find someone aligned with you, you know, who wants to do the mono thing or do the poly thing or do the open or swinging or monogamish, you know, there's so many different choices. <laughs> I was just on a panel recently with somebody who's trying to help poly people be able to marry more than one partner. Uh, so there's, there's, um, there are a lot of choices. And I think when we listen to the inside voice of what we really want, as opposed to the outside voice of what society tells us we're supposed to want, life gets so much happier. Mm, yeah absolutely and I love that that you know going out because I also see from some of the women that I work with that they'll go out not sure what they want and they'll see what presents yes. <laughs> and that's also can, what can create then they fall and get attached to somebody who wants something totally different and what you're saying is really get clear as clear as you ever can be on what feels aligned for you and go out from that place is a very different dating experience yeah, and it's definitely a process of trial and error, right? Where you have to sort of um, figure out, you know, okay, I tried this. I, I mean, I tried the, like, I tried a lot of different things. And for the most part now for me, like being in a dating, ongoing, like sort of dating situation with multiple people has been great. I was in one relationship during the pandemic um, and it was because I felt like, he really met all of the very high bars that I now have. <laughs> they used to be very low. <laughs> because I was really, like you said, sort of trying to prove myself to the other person and not thinking, what do I want? Mm -hmm. um, and now it's like to be in a relationship with someone is it's a big deal. And so I don't really want a relationship unless it's somebody who really meets me in a lot of different ways, emotionally, erotically. I have a very high sex drive. I spent a long time in a relationship where my partner had a much lower sex drive than me. And that was just a nightmare. Like I was unhappy all the time, you know? So like, I'm not putting myself into relationships unless they fulfill certain needs. And otherwise I don't have to be in a relationship and I can just have amazing sex with beautiful people. <laughs> and I love what I love what you said before that you know our definition of successful and actually you can have lots of successful relationships it doesn't have to be one it's is it fulfilling and 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 does it meet all those needs so beautiful exactly exactly and does it you know like what does it or doesn't it trigger because it's like as soon as I'm in a relationship I'm scared to lose it that's my abandonment trauma you know and so um, if I'm not in a relationship and just dating, that doesn't seem to get triggered. And it's like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I much prefer not being triggered all the time. <laughs>
Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. So I love what you shared. I just want to reiterate that because I just think that's so important is one size doesn't fit all. Yeah. And to really find what, what works for you. And like you say, it's an experiment as well. It's a process and and hopefully a fantastic exploration of uh, fun and discovery. So thank you. And um, so I'd love to, for you to, because um, coming to the, to the close and I, with Somatica, there may be people who are listening who are curious about what would it be like to become a sex and relationship coach? Um, they may be actively considering it or they may be even training at the moment and not heard of your training. So. I'd love you to, to share a little about that. Yeah, and some people take Somatica also just for personal growth. Like it's a very transformative, in-depth experience. You know, they take the beginning training and they learn everything about themselves when it comes to emotional empowerment and erotic empowerment and exploring boundaries and um, core desires and all those things, all the stuff that we talked about today and more. Um, and then some people go on to do the certification, the second half of the training and become sex and relationship coaches. And, you know, we train coaches in a really effective way in the sense that, um, I think a lot of trainings can be kind of passive video watching, or there's not a lot of practice and experiential exercises. And this is, you know, tons of experiential work. You're in class with all of your fellow students, you're practicing every tool that we teach. Uh, so it really prepares people to be, um, to go out there and be amazing coaches who can retain clients. And we also help people with marketing their business and getting, um, getting clients, which is a big piece that's sometimes left out of programs. Um, so I think it's, it's really prepares people to help, really prepares coaches to help people with all of stuff around sex and relationships that they might see their clients facing mm. out in the world. Wonderful. Well, I'll share the link to the training on the show notes and also your two wonderful. Well, you've got three books, haven't you, actually? Oh. Yeah. Tell us a little about those. So we have Coming Together, which you talked about, which is about core desires and compatibility. We have Making Love Real, which is um, kind of for couples, understanding emotional and erotic um, connection and how to have them, you know, most pleasurably and effectively. And, um, and then we have confidence, which is for men um, interested in being lovers to women. And it's about becoming an extraordinary lover and being true to yourself in relationship. So we have all of those. Uh, and um, there was one. Oh, and the other thing, the one other thing I wanted to say about the training is that it's just an amazing international community of people. And I think finding the deep friendships and relationships that come out of Somatica is kind of sometimes hard to find as an adult in the world. And we're just so pleased to see that that's, you know, also collaborations around um, work and business as well. So it's a really wonderful aspect of the training. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. And I'll put the links to your books because I really recommend your books. And because there's, there's so much more than books and like practical guidebooks and just fantastic exercises and, the making love real I mean just it's such a brilliant guide for couples that's so real as well it's like you know really practical and lots of myth busting and yeah it's a brilliant book highly recommend it so as this is the sexy life podcast I'd love to finish with asking you what makes for living a sexy life yeah I mean you shared a lot already but I'd love to wrap up with a summary of that for you <laughs> um I mean for me it's just having a lot of sex but you know I guess <laughs> 
sort of basic in that way. Um, I feel like it's actually just feeling your erotic self everywhere you go, you know, like we talked about before and um, knowing that our eroticism is part of our aliveness. And if we keep it open, then every experience can be erotic. Mm, beautiful. That's a delicious way to end. And apart from your website, anywhere else people can find you online, social media or? Uh, I think somaticainstitute.com is probably the best place. We also have celestandanielle.com and then we are on Facebook and um, we're less active on Instagram, but I think we're just Celeste and Danielle on Instagram as well. Yeah. And you've got some really great blogs and things, a huge library of blogs, haven't you, on the Celeste and Danielle website on all sorts of different sexual things yep <laughs> yeah and also sexcoaching.com okay um, lots of articles there too about both about how to improve your sex life and if you're interested in becoming a sex and relationship coach we have a lot of articles there as well and you've got some great videos on youtube too yep yeah so I'll yeah, if you want to see a full session you can google somatica sessions um which is a different it's um the woman who's making the tv pilot um it's her uh, YouTube page, but it's uh, called Somatica Sessions and it's got like 40, 40 minute sessions, 30 minute sessions on it. So it's really fun to be able to see the more interactive part of the work. Mm, oh, beautiful. I'll add that to the list as well. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to see you, Sarah. You too. Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sarahrosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one -one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. Wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.